Welcome back to Impactful Experiences with Sierra Ty Brownlee, where I chat with a new guest each episode and ask them to share one of their impactful experiences. This is your host, Sierra, and I want to thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Today, I'm joined by Jana Lundquist, owner and CEO of Jana Lundquist Consulting in Missoula, Montana. Jana, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Sierra, thank you for asking me to be here. It's my pleasure. Of course, anytime. So why don't we just hop right in and if you'd be willing to share your experience. Absolutely. Well, Sierra, I have grown to adore you over the past several months that we've been able to work together. So this is just so exciting for me to be able to be across this virtual table with you today. The experience that I've been thinking about since you asked me about an impactful experience is mm-hmm. my, experiencing, my experience studying abroad during my senior year of college. Yeah. I went to McAllister College in St. Paul, which is a small liberal arts school. And I would say a vast majority of students there um, either are international or choose to study abroad at some point mm-hmm. during their education. And I had spoken Spanish through middle school and high school and college and decided to study abroad in Ecuador in the capital city there called Quito. And that was a really impactful experience in a lot of ways. And I'm excited to take another look at it with you here today. Yeah, thank you. Um, And so did you kind of enter college knowing that you wanted to study abroad or that you wanted to continue studying Spanish? I think I, yes, I think I had some idea of wanting to do that. Um, My mom was a Spanish speaker growing up and uh, as a second language. And my parents did lots of traveling, particularly being Central America, you know, sort of before, between their college years and my college years and 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 the time I was born. And so Mm -hmm. I always had this sense that language could help open doors and um, make possible experiences that you otherwise don't have if you're only speaking your native tongue. So I knew I wanted to continue Spanish in college. I was a college swimmer and I had a boyfriend who became my husband Mm -hmm. who was a year ahead of me in school. And so most people studied abroad during their junior year. That was pretty traditional but I wanted to have a really good junior year of swimming and be able to swim sort of both semesters there Mm -hmm. and um, stay at school where my boyfriend was finishing his senior year as well. So I decided to do something slightly non-traditional and hold off and go abroad the fall of my senior year. Okay. And now I guess talking a little bit kind of about going and the experience, what made you decide to choose this experience? Yeah, that's a great question. I chose this experience for a couple of reasons. I have a cousin named Elfie, who um, is part of a faith community. And so she moved from Minnesota to Ecuador, a rural part Mm -hmm. of Ecuador, um, I would say sometime in her early 20s. And so I knew Mm -hmm. I had a cousin who was in Ecuador. um, And I did end up seeing her for like an afternoon while I was there for that semester. And I was also felt pretty fortunate. There are all sorts of different study abroad programs that are available to students, depending upon your major and your school and your interest. And there is a particular study abroad and education 
organization in St. Paul, Minnesota, which is, happens to be where um, McAllister College is also located. Mm-hmm. And it's called HECUA or the Higher Education Consortium for Urban Affairs. Okay. And so as I was researching different possibilities, and when I say research, it's not like I looked through dozens and dozens of options. <laughs> I sort of looked at a few and settled on this one, yeah. um, lest you think I was extremely researched. <laughs> and I, I was really interested in Hecua's programs in general, because um, I knew that I didn't want to sort of be the American kid who went abroad and drank a lot and partied and hung out with other American kids. Mm -hmm. That was just not an interesting um, offer to me. And some study abroad situations are kind of like that. And so Spain would have been an option, right, with Spanish, as long as I learned the lisp or whatever. Um, But I didn't want to do that. And Hecua was different because um, there was always some sort of um, local involvement in most of their programs. Some are take place in Minnesota, some take place at these different sites across Mm -hmm. the globe. And so the program I did was called CELA for short, which is Community Internships in Latin America. And so I was part of a group of about 16 American students and we took classes together as a small group with Ecuadorian instructors. And then each of us had a 20 hour a week internship at a local community organization. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, we were all um, the only students, right? So it's not like we were going out in pairs or threes. We were independent as we headed off to these internships and um, really had to sort of sink or swim in terms of navigating ourselves geographically, right? Catching the right train or the right bus and getting to where we needed to go and then navigating sort of a workplace in another culture altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and the Spanish and everything on top of that. So I was placed, um, they sort of asked about our interests as mm-hmm. we prepared for our trip. And my interest was and always has been really in um, helping women, and I would now say, and other marginalized genders mm-hmm. who need and deserve additional support beyond which their lives or their community currently provides. And I love kids. And I think that, you know, all the cliches about children being our future are true. And so because of those couple of interests, um, our our program director placed me at Casa de Refugio Matilde, which is literally um, House of Refuge Matilde, the, Mm -hmm. the Matilda house. And at the time, it was the first the first women's shelter in the country of Ecuador. Okay. And so this was like 2002. And as I recall, I looked it up somewhat recently. It had only been around for maybe 10 or 12 years at that mm-hmm. point in time, right? So um, all told, it was a pretty new organization anyway, which is pretty amazing, right? When you yeah. think about how we work with domestic and family violence. And so I spent um, 20 hours a week there from you know September through the holidays of that fall. Yeah. And um, it was it was a really eye-opening and impactful experience. Okay. And did that have an influence on kind of what you maybe wanted to do post-graduation? Yeah, so that's a great question, Sierra. I, I think about it in a couple of ways. One is I, I I don't even really know how we developed my internship at 
myself. I didn't, I don't know that I produced any amazing work product for them in the month okay. that I was there. <laughs> but one of the, one of the activities that I was sort of assigned or given was to help create some marketing materials for the CASA. Um, because um, if, if you sort of have to flash back in the United States, probably several decades to think about how at least some women in that community are equipped in terms of support around family violence and other challenges. Mm-hmm. So, um, in, so as an example of what I was doing, I, they decided they wanted to print and distribute a calendar, like a poster calendar that could yeah. be put up at different places around the wider community and um, that women would know that they could call Casa de Refugio Matilde for, for help. And so I did, I remember doing some like very basic graphic design on Mm -hmm. one of the computers that they have there at the office. And they also put me in touch with a, an artist or graphic designer who was in downtown Quito. And I, I I probably didn't visit him a, a huge number of times, but I would say two or three or four times for sure. I would um, take a special bus and go to his office in an office building. Mm -hmm. And we would sort of, um, we would sort of work on this particular piece. And I, 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 it really did influence particularly my early years out of school, because I found that I really enjoyed working with someone creative, such as this, such as this artist um, or graphic designer, but I didn't necessarily want to be the person at the computer who was sort of in Photoshop or yeah. in design or whatever the, the program might be. Mm-hmm. But I liked representing the organization and making sure that sort of this end product ended up being something that they would be satisfied with and that the um, that would that would serve the organization and the women that they were trying to reach. And so I remember talking to my dad, who recently now retired as um, from a career as a corporate photographer. Mm-hmm. And I sort of described this dynamic to him either over the phone or on email while I was still in Ecuador. And he said, well, you know, that sounds a lot like being an advertising agency account executive, because um, it's a similar kind of spot where you're mm-hmm. kind of the go-between and the messenger in really good ways and really challenging ways, as I learned yeah. over time as well. But working with creative people and working with a client or an organization or a company that needs these kinds of products and, and making sure that what is created meets all the goals for both of those parties. And so after I returned from Ecuador, sort of at the holidays that year, I ended up really focusing in on looking for an account executive role at an yeah. advertising agency in the Twin Cities and ended up ended, ended up being an adver- uh, uh, account executive intern over the summer and then landing a full-time position at that same agency that fall and doing that for about three years from there. So it, it was a very, that's a very concrete yeah. <laughs> sort of takeaway or, or insight that I gained that like very concretely um, helped me focus my, the first step of my career from there. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Um, what would you say were maybe some of the major takeaways that you left Ecuador with, or maybe some of the things that really stuck with you? Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. 
Well, when I talk about the, the work that I did at my internship, that was, that was important, but I wouldn't say it was the most impactful. For me, the most impactful part of working there, it was an interesting dynamic because, um, you know, of course, I was speaking a second language and, um, and I, I got to know the leaders of the organization um, pretty well and sort of got to take along for meetings and mm-hmm. um sessions that they would have in terms of taking care of these women and these families. And sort of accidentally, I would be spending, you know, four or five hours a day at sort of this, um, it was a gated brick campus, especially, right, like security, physical security Mm -hmm. needed to be high, and it was sort of on the outskirts of town. But there were kids around, and mm-hmm. I think about a brother and sister who were there really early on. And when I think about it in retrospect, um, second languages are so interesting because even though you know I'd studied most of my sort of you know young middle school, high school career, you know I probably spoke at like a three or four or five year old level in uh-huh. Spanish, all told, you know. And so yeah. I think for that they were like, "Who is this blonde woman?" who is like, okay, but not great at speaking Spanish. (laughs) And we just got to be buddies, right? And so um, they would love looking through sort of my bag and my office supplies. I remember bringing um, sort of my, my, my SLR camera with the big lens on it to take pictures. Um, And I ended up getting to know other kids in other families as well over the course of that time. And they just, I mean, they really like left a mark on my heart in terms of these children. They were so, um, I, I, I knew enough to know they had been through a lot and yet mm-hmm. they were joyful and kind and interested in connection, you know, with this sort of oddity of a person from, from outside the country. And I also noticed, you know, I wasn't working on their cases in a concrete way. And so these, these kids that I got to know would sort of like one day I would get there and they would be gone and I would sort of never see them again. And again, like I hadn't had like a big, long or deep relationship with them, but that was really, that was really hard. And even though I was, you know, at that point, like another 10 or 12 or 13 years away from becoming a parent myself, I knew that one of the learnings was that I would not, I was not cut out to be a foster parent because I, the sort of the emotional roller coaster of having these young people who would be there and who would be so special and then they would be gone, you know, hopefully into a good, positive, different situation was like kind of heartbreaking for me. And so that was, that was a takeaway. And, you know, like I, I was 21 years old and I remember thinking like, well, I guess I think this is what foster parenting is a little like, and I don't think I'm probably cut out for that. And so uh-huh. um, that lesson, whether that's an appropriate lesson or not, has sort of stuck with me <laughs> over the years as well. Um, so yeah, so I, you know, have, have my two biological kids and love having other kids in my life, but that's probably a step that I won't take just because I'm not sure that my, my heart can take it. Okay. Um, it seems like, I don't, I guess I didn't really know this, that you, I guess love kids. I don't know that much. Um, So yeah, just something, something interesting. Um, But it kind of made me think, did, 
or did this experience or maybe just in general you ever consider like being a teacher or just teaching Mm, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I know, I guess I didn't really ever seriously consider that. I had some experiences like in high school where we would go and mentor or, you know, sort of like be like extra people in the classroom mm-hmm. for kids at one of the nearby elementary schools. I don't know. I never really did consider that seriously. I think I got a little bit of like the business itch or something, you know, during college and looking forward. Um, And then I I do think that, you know, talking about the couple, uh, you know, really caring about women and children in the world, when I was trying to figure out which internship I would do in Ecuador, Mm -hmm. I think that has continued to influence my community service slice of my life right? Like I served on the board of directors for United Way of Missoula County for nine years. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that United Way has meant so much to me is because I know that uh, with its various programs and initiatives, United Way helps the most vulnerable people in our community. And that really matters to me. And I believe that the better we take care of our kids, early on, you know, the, the, the better they're going to turn out as they grow into young adults and older adults as well. The Missoula Public Library is my other um, passion, I guess mm-hmm. I would say, in terms of community projects. And I served on the foundation for Missoula Public Library for several years. And then in 2016, sort of returned to that cause to help serve as a volunteer fundraiser on the capital campaign for the new Missoula Public Library, which has just opened here in summer of 2021. So, um, and that's a real, that's about, for me, a lot of that is about kids and accessibility and the chance to learn and read and um, be in the care of caring, helpful adults. Um, That's really connected for me. Um, That's connected, I would say, to my my passion for helping kids do well and succeed in the world. Okay. Um, kind of a different, maybe a more fun question, but what do you think your like Spanish skills currently are at? Oh my gosh, Sierra, they are pathetic right now. Um, we, we did sort of a um, delayed honeymoon I'm trying to think it would have been in like spring of 2009, which would have been about eight years or seven or eight years after my Ecuador experience. Mm -hmm. And we went to Isla Holbosch, which is spelled H-O-L-B-O-X, which is off the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. And um, so I, so here's a, here's a memory that I have from Ecuador. My mom, (laughs) who I mentioned had spoken Spanish and traveled around, you know, as a young person came to visit me in Ecuador mm-hmm. for she came over sort of American Thanksgiving time during the semester that I was there. And she happened to be placed or seated next to an Ecuadorian doctor on mm-hmm. her plane ride from Texas, I think is where the direct flight came from. And they just chatted and chatted and chatted and chatted. And by the end of her flight, she was like the, the parts of her brain that spoke Spanish had been reactivated. <laughs> she was back, right? And she, her Spanish was there with her. Yeah. And so I really, I sort of expected to have that same experience whenever it was time to go back to my Spanish. 
But when we were at Isla Hobosh, one of the reasons we were there is because there's um, tarpon fishing there. And there's a really legendary guide there who goes by the nickname Sandflea. And Sandflea invited me and my kid's dad and um, over to his house for sort of a special fish fry one of the Mm -hmm. days that we were there. And I remember talking to his father-in-law and I'm not sure, you know, every country or even every region has its own idioms or sayings and accent on top of that. Mm -hmm. So I was definitely not used to sort of this region in Mexico and its idioms and accent and that sort of thing. But I just remember really trying to really trying so hard to keep up (laughs) and not feeling like I was doing a very good job. And I remember he was telling this father-in-law was telling us a story about that somehow had to do with turtles, which is tortugas in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And to this day, we just joke because I sort of got my eyes got big and I was trying to follow along. And I just (laughs) kept repeating, ah, tortugas, see, tortugas. (laughs) So maybe I just need some more intensive experience, like my mom's flight next to the Ecuadorian doctor to really get back into the swing of things. I, I, I hope that that knowledge and that familiarity is in there. Um, but we'll see if it comes out when I really need it. My daughter goes to a partial Spanish immersion elementary school. And so, and she's starting second grade in a couple of weeks here. So I'm, I'm hoping that as I sort of tag along with her on her language journey, that, that some of that Spanish in my brain might light up and reactivate as well. Yes, indeed, indeed. I definitely, I believe in you. I think it'll come back for sure. <laughs> I appreciate your support. I appreciate that face here. I hope, I hope it's going to be enough. <laughs> yeah, um, it's kind of along those lines. Um, when maybe it'll be revived, do you see yourself going, maybe going abroad again, um, either for an extended period of time or just in general? I don't know. That's a great question. I would say that I found um, sort of through my 30s and I just turned 40 that for me, uh, the most fulfilling travel is is not necessarily doing what the Instagram travel influencers show or what's in the National Geographic Traveler magazine or whatever the case may be for me. Um, And throughout my life and also in travel, it's really about relationships and either being able to start relationships or nurture relationships or friendships or family, you know, family links through travel. Mm -hmm. And I think about times we um, we've traveled in Europe to go see one of my um, brothers-in-law as he finished up his study abroad experience. I think about my recent road trip to Minnesota with my kids to see both Mm -hmm. family and longtime friends. So um, I don't have any necessarily like pictures on my vision board as far as upcoming travel goes, but I would just have to say it's likely one way or another to be um, around a chance to either get to know or nurture relationships with people I care about or hold dear. Yeah. All right. Well, Jana, I think that We will start wrapping things up, but as a final question, I always like to ask, what is the best piece of life advice that you've been given? Mm. This is a, a you're a beautiful interviewer, Sierra, and I love these questions that you're asking. I would have to refer back to my dad, David Lundquist, who's the retired photographer who's out Mm -hmm. in Minnesota. 
And right along the same era that we were talking about, when I was getting ready to graduate from college, I don't know if you're feeling that pressure yet, but it seems like everyone's always expecting you to know what you want to do with your life and to be taking all of these next steps in order to figure it out right away. Mm -hmm. But I was feeling some of that pressure. I returned from Ecuador and had sort of decided to go the advertising agency route or at least try it. And I felt like I was just constantly sending out that there was email back there back then. Um, we weren't texting, we weren't texting yet. We were on like AOL instant messenger and email, (laughs) but I remember just feeling like I was, it was this shotgun approach. And I felt like I was sending out cover letters that were customized and resumes sort of all over the place. And Mm -hmm. it felt impersonal and it felt like it might not work. And it just brought up like a lot of a lot of doubt and scatteredness in terms of my feelings at that time. And I remember my dad, this was probably on the phone um, while I was sort of in this phase. And he said to me, he said, Jana, he goes, I know you've been sending out all of these cover letters, all of these resumes. I was doing lots of informational interviews at the time, which I highly recommend to you and to any of your listeners who are considering some sort of Um, shift in their future, collegiate or otherwise. And he said, I know you're doing all of this work and you only need one job. You just need one job to work out. And that perspective was really helpful to me because, you know, I've I've always been um, an achiever. I want to do well at the things that I do. Mm -hmm. And when you, you know, when you send out, you know, three or five or 15 resumes in a month, you kind of, you want most of them to work out. And his reframe really helped me realize that, oh, I just need one of these things. And hopefully it's a good one. One of these, one of these possibilities to work out out well. And of course that's what ended up happening. And so I've, I've often shared that little bit of advice. You only need one, um, one job, one internship, probably one life partner, one house when we were looking for houses in Missoula, only one of these houses needs to work out. Not all of them do. So I've given that, that advice to myself over time. And I've also shared it with executive coaching clients who feel like they have a lot of different opportunities or possibilities in front of them that are either within their control or not within their control. And Mm -hmm. just really going, Hey, not all of this has to work out. One thing has to work out. And I'll probably be able to do that is something that has um, provided me with a lot of calm at different points in my life. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing a good piece of advice. Indeed. You're so welcome. Okay. Well, Jana, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Sierra. I'm so excited to see how your series turns out. <laughs> Thank you. And of course, anytime. All right. Well, thank you again, Jana. And thank you guys for listening and take care. Take good care.